All right, everybody. Welcome back. Episode three. Right, boys? Three, I think. Of no uh, man. 2023. Uh Aussie's done. Well, I mean, great tournament. I think great two weeks. I think the Aussie, as usual, like we talked about, I think in episode one, just reinvigorates us for the year ahead of tennis. Everything about it. Although staying up till four, four in the morning is not always fun, but Cole rocking the Vols hat in honor of is that Pat Harper or is that because of an ex flame? Wow, uh, wasn't ready for that dagger. Um, yeah, we're gonna go with Pat Harper, uh, just just to be safe. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're in full swing. I know Fred, your college season's going, so you know, just trying to support the the Harper boys in any way I can. Uh, you know, Mitch Harper out on tour, Maddie down at my alma alma mater, and then uh. Pat hanging out at uh, Tennessee, but they'll all get to the Australian Open soon. Um, anyway, a little recap on the Oz. Yeah, great tournament. Uh, women's final. I think Keith mentioned it in his little break point segment earlier this week on Instagram. Instant classic. I mean, Rybakina is very, very good. And I didn't realize it until we got to see her the second time around. And uh, for Sabalenka to just put on a forehand clinic like that and sort of like deal with the power that Rybakina was was throwing at her, uh, very impressive. I think we all thought that Sabalenka was eventually going to win a slam. Um, definitely well, had to figure it out. This tournament. What would you say? Well, one of us did this tournament and he's oh, that yeah. man over there. Toot my own horn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I picked her, but still, she's too good of a player to not have a slam so she figured out her serve um and then man it felt like every match she was playing she was hitting a beach ball like it was just so so clean so much power and uh it's hard for anybody to stay with her if she's playing that well um and then of course we get to the men's but i'll let you guys touch on that if uh you know you're gonna you want to add a little bit to the the lady side well firstly before that i just I wanted to mention one thing about uh about cole's hat here that we were just ta- talking about <laughs> is it, he is he is wearing a tennessee volunteers hat as freddie just said and the camera is beneath him so it just looks like i'm staring up into a duct bill just because of the color <laughs> just because of the color of it like that like that burnt orange into like kind of that yellow so it just looks like i'm staring into a duck's bill at this moment um but yeah i think the term instant classic gets thrown around like way too often and i probably am one that throws it around a little too much this was a very very good women's match uh and it was a very good match in general and uh like it just came down to one robbie kenya is is very good i mean she won wimbledon this last year at that kind of odd wimbledon so that's why she was a 22 i think she was a 22 seed instead of probably being where she rightfully deserves which is like within the top 15 10th uh, today she's 10th in the rankings today so that's what the, that's what the loss. So with with a win at Wimbledon, she probably would be in the top six. I think that's a fair. I mean, that's two that's two thousand points. That she's she's within the top five at that point. So she's played like a player who is right there with the Sabalenkas of the world, uh, the the Pagulas and, and those types of and those types of players. Um, the difference for me, I thought that match was watching was one the uh, both these women served huge. I think they were both averaging like 113 to 115 on first serves, which is really, really big. Um, like they're both bruising hitters from the ground. Uh, the the big difference I thought in that match was that for how good Rabakini was, she could not hit a forehand moving to her right. If she had to move any bit to her right, the point was done. 
And uh, it just took it just took a while for Sabalenka to kind of get the ball over there. But when she did in that third set, that's where it that's where the momentum changed. Is it pronounced Rybakina or Rybakina? Because both of you guys are giving a little so bean. I look, be Rybakina. I looked this up. I looked this up on how to pronounce it so I could do one of those breakpoint videos. It's it's really challenging to say it's Rabakinya. It's like Rabakinya. It's like that. So people just kind of hybrid the two pronunciations together to kind of get Rabakinya or Rabakina. Both of those are actually kind of wrong. But it's it's actually a very challenging name to say if you're supposed to say it like correctly. Yeah, I'm just I don't see the enye enye over the end. <laughs> no, you can type it in yourself. I trust me, I tried like six in times phonics, and I just said in the phonics lesson here. I, I just said fuck it. I'm like this, I'm like, I'm getting as close as I can to this name. I'm really trying. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think both both of what you guys said and just the way they're playing was sick. And they just they both just smash the ball. Like they are just they're two tall, strong women. And they just destroy the ball. And you said, what, like 113 or 115? I mean, Cole, have you ever served over 100? You know, somehow I knew this was going to get back to me. <laughs> in my 3-5 men's league, just bopping it in <laughs> on a windy, cold night. Uh, but, you know, for the, for the, for the listeners, I'm just going to say yes, that I've served over 100 before. The listeners, I'm going to say he's lying. It might be. Uh, <laughs> It might be a new segment. The the road, uh, isn't it? What on on that golf podcast? The guy's trying to break a hundred. Cole's trying to break. 100. Oh yeah, Trent breaking ninety. No, 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 yeah. Freddie. What I'm trying to do is at these tournaments we go to. I'm trying to hit over uh, eighty miles per hour on like those serve machines. <laughs> like hit, step up, crack a serve, and it registers like it's a like it's a punching thing. Oh man. Yeah, that was at the City Open when that twelve year old served faster than you. <laughs> well, how big was the 12 year old we got to be honest and how, and how did you how no did no you... no Keith, i framed it three times <laughs> you got three cracks at it they give you like a little kid's racket to serve it and i just hit the frame four times it didn't even <laughs> register in the mile per hour yeah nothing came up and they were like sorry sir you're you're gonna have to get back in line if you want to go again well <laughs> just turns around there's just like a sea of cotton candy and heads at like waist height for him it's like he's the only adult in this entire thing hitting serves <laughs> um, anyway yeah, those girls were definitely uh, bringing the heat um, on the serve. A uh, lot, lot to take notes for from me. Um, transitioning to the men's, I mean, I feel like I feel like this is this is becoming almost like redundant. Djokovic wins again, his twenty second, tying himself with Nadal all time, his tenth Australian Open. He's back to world number one in the rankings. Ridiculous. Just when just when you think that there's a crack in the armor, like. The guy just shuts out the next gen once again. Uh, I mean, I just think it, what more can you say is for me, it's just like, you know, consistently great. And uh, the revenge tour is in full swing. Well, Fred, spot check me on this one. Didn't he not play a tournament until Rome of last year? Didn't he miss everything up until Rome? Yeah, I think. Let me look because I was looking at his rankings breakdown. If, if, when you think about the fact that he played, he's playing against everybody who played a full season. Now everybody's going to say Nadal was injured and all that kind of stuff. But I'm almost positive he didn't start playing an event in, last year, which is still on the rankings. For those of you who don't know, the rankings are year long, uh, so you don't lose your points until you play that tournament again or that week of the tournament comes up. And yeah. he's like on like a seven month schedule. Everybody else is on a twelve month schedule. 
So his <laughs> tournaments that count, he has Indian Wells with zero points counts for him. Yep. Uh, he didn't play. Monte Carlo with 10 points counts for him. And the U.S. Open with zero points counts for him. Yeah, I, I so I think that's right. I think like so he did play Monte Carlo, so that means he went Monte Carlo to Rome, and yeah, that was played, like the start of yeah. season. Yeah, he won won Rome. Yep. And then uh, Madrid, three hundred sixty points. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wild that he's back. He's back to one in the world, right? Yeah, back to one. Yeah. It's, Injuries be damned for everybody else. That's just an impressive statistic. And what was supposed to be the next gen of tennis kind of taking over. And I mean, I mean it looks, go ahead, but it looks to, I mean, next gen, the word next gen is just getting tossed around and it's like been 10 years. It feels like, like next gen to me, feels like Ben Shelton now. <laughs> <laughs> like these guys are just so good at prolonging what, well, and now really it's Djokovic. Like they're just, he's just so good at, prolonging his stay at the top and ruining everybody else's career. <laughs> I don't think he's prolonging. He's just better. Like, I think he just showed it again. I don't care which tournament this is. He's just better. Anybody who watched that match and got up with me, we're calling that uh Sunday bloody Sundays. Now when uh, the, the, the major championships are always played on a Sunday and uh, I just wake up and have myself a good bloody morning, a good bloody <laughs> Mary like in the morning. Uh, worked out really great for me. Cause my Eagles won the NFC championship game. So it just kind of kept going until that, uh, until that finish, but um, like Sitsi, like Djokovic was just way better than Sitsi Pass in that match. And I actually want to give a little bit of a shout out to Sitsi Pass in that match because he didn't have his best stuff and it was pretty obvious. And I think if anybody else outside of Rafael Nadal hit the ball the way that Sitsi Pass hit the ball in that that final, it would have been one, two, and two. Like since he has really grinded his way to lose that, uh, I think it was a six three seven six seven six. It shouldn't have been that close. Um, and for the love of God, Stefano since he learn to hit a backhand slice. It's so bad. Just like just learn to hit a backhand slice for the love of God. But it, it was a good match for what it was. It was straight sets. Djokovic drops one set on the way to a second rounder. I've never heard of. It just he's just better than everybody else when there isn't Roger or Rafa, or a really good Daniil Medvedev playing uh, right now. Yeah. I, how, do you, how do you beat him? How do you beat him? I don't, I, I try, I've been trying to figure this out for the past. Like, Fred, two- I, 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 I have an idea, but I'm going to let the real coach take that one. Yeah, it's obviously a lot easier said than done. Yeah. But I think when I, I actually went back to watch the guy who took a set off of him, that the French guy who none of us Enzo, Cur- yeah. I can't pronounce that last name, Kunku or something, or yeah. Kunkowd. Yeah, Kunkowd. is that it? I tried to pronounce it three it times. Might be. I gotta video. check it out. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's who it was. Um, yeah, he really did a good job of trying to move forward and put a little more pressure on. I think so many guys try to hang in the rally for a bit and then just pull the trigger whenever instead of, I don't know, trying to actually, I don't know, work the point a little bit and find your way in. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Like if you don't really have a true weapon, you're not going to be able to hurt him enough, but it's funny. I was talking about this with some of my players. I think Djokovic even has another gear if he were to be able to add a little bit more to his game and he's already the best player of all time 
and he really has he has a C minus overhead. He has B minus volleys, and he never ever looks to come to the net. If he ever could do that, I don't know. Like he's already the best of all time, so I guess it doesn't matter. But yeah, so I was just watching the coverage and the guys that were speaking, like uh, Goodall and the McEnroe brothers, like. You know how they dissect points and do all these shot tracking stuff pre-match and like these are the keys. Um it's actually a good John McEnroe impression there. <laughs> yeah. Uh the the thing that they highlighted was in the first six matches of that tournament, um he, he's they highlighted his age and how he's shortening his, his points and he how he's pulling the trigger earlier. Um, which you know it's hard to notice as you watch him throughout like uh, two weeks as you're so used to him just hitting 30 and 40 ball rallies and being like the elastic man and just going all over the place and suffering and outlasting you. Um, But I definitely think that, you know, we saw Federer change his game with age, shorten the points. Um, And I think, you know, Nadal's probably has done it as well, but that's been a big thing with Moya is how much Nadal has wanted to shorten points. Yeah. But I just think Djokovic, can do both so well right now. Like he can, he's shortening points, yes, and he's playing well against sort of like the third round, fourth round, fifth round. But when it's time to like you know strap up and like suffer a little bit, and even though he didn't really probably need to in the sits pass match, like he can, he can do it. He's got the best plus one maybe in tennis history. Serve plus one. Uh, I think it was Federer or. Sampras, like I don't know if you can call serve plus one, but it's a serve volley for Sampras. But I think it's it's Djokovic in the serve plus one. Whenever there's a big point, he makes a first serve, hits a spot, and then takes it over with whatever wing he wants to. But I think the only way you can beat Djokovic right now, and there's only been one guy who's consistently done it on the big stage. And do you guys remember who that guy is? It's what's the one guy who's beaten Djokovic on big stages in the past, we'll say six years? It's probably the curious. Close. It's Stan Wawrinka. Oh, that's true. been the one guy who's been able to kind of take the take the best of Djokovic. You have to hit through him. You have to make sure he doesn't have a plus one. And that's where Sitsi Pass, I think, loses that match last night. I mean, uh, yeah, loses it last night because of the fact that he he can't defend on he he can't defend on that backhand wing. And every time he tried to hit like a Thompson backhand from a defensive spot, it sat in the middle of the court and then Djokovic just pounded and pounded where Sitsi passes winning points was by hitting big forehands. Like the one thing I came away with last night with outside of Sitsi pass being really mentally tough is that he may have one of the best two forehands on tour. Sitsi pass just hits forehands early and hit does what he wants with it. And that's why he stayed competitive, but you have to Vavrinka yourself. And that's just very few people in the world can do that. Yeah, it's it's a special recipe to be able to defeat him. And clear, clearly, I mean, the guy's got 22 slams. I, th- I saw something on Twitter this morning that showed the comparison between Djokovic, Rafa, and Fed with all the major tournaments, with the majors, the Masters, the World Tour Finals, Olympics, and Novak, I think, is 12 in front of Fed and maybe seven or eight in front of Nadal. The winning record against both. Yep. And it's it's big time, but Nadal, no World Tour Finals. Yeah. I, 
I mean, it just looks like he like I I wrote an article for for No Man's Land uh, when on before the pre-launch where I was talking about what makes Djokovic the goat is that he's both the goat in terms of he is the greatest of all time to play this game, and I hate saying it because I really don't like him that much. And he's also like a goat in terms of like the old school fashion of how you use the word goat, which is like a guy who doesn't live up to expectations and kind of stinks. And that's what he kind of does off the court in an essence. And as, uh, and as always, there was drama following him uh, during this tournament. Uh, but he just, he's had, he just, it, when it comes to being the best tennis player, he is the best tennis player. That's not a reaction because he won the Australian open. It's just, it's just a firm, it's just affirmation of how good he is. I want to give one thought. I, Cole and I got a message from someone who listens to all of our podcasts and said something about Djokovic and saying how great a player he is, but nobody actually gives a shit about his tennis that isn't from Serbia because you have to be such an experienced tennis player to really understand how good he is. Yep. And just kind of everybody else, either the common sports fan or – maybe someone that's just getting into tennis or you're just flipping through the channels and putting it on, you're going to fall asleep is the quote that this guy gave us. And I think he said with fed, like the appeal was undeniable on so many levels. Rafa's capacity to fight was incredible, but Djokovic is just more consistent than everybody. And it's just boring unless you really know what you're doing. Well, it's, it's kind of like uh, Tiger and Jack, like Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas. Like I, I, I will die on this. I will die on this hill. Jack. I think Jack Nicholas is the best uh, golfer. Keith, play. You, I, you, I will you die love on, a good golf parallel. I, I will die on this hill. Well, yeah, I mean, the sports are kind of related um, in, in how they're played. They're both individual sports. They're both sports that you have to battle, not yourself and your opponents around you. But Jack Nicholas was like never flashy and never like put the game on the mark. Like, you know, like even like an Arnold Palmer or like even not even close to Tiger Woods. And it's kind of the same thing with Novak. Uh, there's nothing really appealing about Novak Djokovic where you had like Federer and his perfection. He looked like a ballerina moving on the court and you had Nadal with his like hilariously long shorts and like the the ripped the ripped physique and then like, you know, the slick back hair and like all that kind of stuff. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, could you imagine if Novak Djokovic was like put into like strokes or personality of like Tommy Haas, we, we, we would never forget the dude. We'd be like, <laughs> Oh my God, we need this guy at all times, but he is like quietly the best that's ever done it. And it quietly is the wrong way to put it. Cause there's always drama around him, but like in terms of like greatness, he's quietly, he's quietly done it every time. That was another point I wanted to touch on with a little bit of the drama. And I wanted your guys thoughts on this because I had this conversation with a couple of the players on my team this weekend when we were talking about Novak and yeah, if he's the goat or why people think he is or isn't. And I've got a few players that just adore him and love him. And some people just are disgusted by him and don't like him. And I just wonder, I, I was really thinking about it because I'm not a Djokovic fan. And I think it's, it's because he's the rival of Federer and all that. But I think when I really think about it, I feel like the media just really is almost out to get him in, in a way. No, he's an ass. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like that's what I that's what I think too. But when I really think about it, I'm like, man, they they really don't. I don't know. They don't come at Feder and and the doll and some of these other guys the same way. And I think I I don't know. When you think about it, like 
Djokovic actually has like a pretty good personality. He's like extremely well spoken. He, I mean, throw back to when he was doing the impersonations of everybody on the court. Like he's he's got that charisma. It seems like most people on tour really like and respect him. So why is the media the ones uh, that are driving this narrative one way or the other? I'll be I'll be Switzerland here. I think it takes two to tango. So I think uh, you've got Djokovic who goes at periods of being a role model and, you know, is a, a stand-up guy and, you know, and then all of a sudden something like the U S open happens and then the media sees it and they just want to jump on that. And that carries on for months and months and months. And then he does something like, you know, the whole Australian open get, you know, sent out of the country type thing. And it's like, let's just add on to that. I think he, he he's almost like pretty bad at PR is what it feels like to me. And he like, like he sort of adds to it, but it could be so much more cleaner if he just thought, um, because it's not, I don't know if he's a bad guy or not. We don't know that, but like he's a great tennis player and he goes for time or periods of time where he shows that off the court and is a role model to everyone, kids around the world, everything. Um, and then he'll have like these big mess ups, but they're like the biggest mess ups. And it just ruins everything that you work towards. I mean, your reputation is everything, right? My dad taught me that. He appreciate he appreciate me dropping that on the pod. Uh, so it's 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 hard to regain and it's easy to get rid of. And um, you know, being compared to two legends in Nadal and Federer all the time, that also doesn't necessarily help. So I definitely think the media is definitely to blame a little bit, but I think the two of them contribute to each other's downfall. Let's say. I would just want to say I would I would love to sit down and and talk to Novak and just and just see like you know pick his brain and see how much of it is truthful of him like you know my persona of him I think he's uh, I think he's a jerk and uh, a lot of the stuff at the beginning was media related when it came to like him quitting on court like you know that was a big thing that he was a big quitter and he never tried like you know he, if he if he was losing he would just pout his way out of a tournament and that was like that was obnoxious that was just annoying media stuff. But what got me and, and I don't want to get too much into this was, was when he just blatantly lied about the COVID thing last year at Australia. I mean, it was just, there's no way around it. There's no way you can look at it. He either lied about having COVID so that he could get into the country and then he never had it. Or he was telling the truth about that. And then openly went to an event with like 15 kids there, 25 kids there and like just tried to infect 25 kids because he didn't care about their well-being because he's the perfect temple. Like, you know, once you do that, it's a hard one to come by. It's a hard one to come back from. And there's no disputing that. That's the timeline of events. And I think that's why the media killed him for it, uh, because he either lied or he he lied for political purposes of like, oh, I'm anti-vax, no, 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 or he openly infected a lot of kids. And that's just well, that's not a side of the coin I'd ever want to be on. Um, yeah. But with the U.S. Open thing, that was just the worst PR I've ever seen in my life. Like what, what pissed me off about the the U.S. Open when he when he hit the the ball uh, the line judge with the with the ball was that he just didn't go and just admit it afterwards. Like he didn't go to the press conference and just go, "Hey, that was a mistake. I wasn't trying to hit her. 
like it was the heat of the moment. I was pissed and I hit a ball and I accidentally hit her in the throat and I felt like the worst human of all time. If he said that, I think that story disappears, but no, he had to like go back home, get his PR team to write up a little thing and, and send out a little picture of the, the statement he sent out, which he never says a word. And it just comes off as so disingenuous and so, so annoying. So yeah, I think the media is hyped up a little bit, but sometimes Novak gets himself into some problems. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, but this is uh, this is him now, you know, like it's it's always been that uh, balanced beam of walking act with him. And and now it seems like he's made his bed and he's going to lay in it and he's embracing that oh. villain role. And it seems like it's really paying off in terms of titles for him. Um, and I don't think he's anywhere be- close to being done, especially for the rest of this year. I mean. I was like we said, and we don't have to beat it to death anymore, but I just don't see him getting beat at big tournaments the rest of the year. If he gets beat, it's because of him. It's not going to be because somebody, I mean, maybe Alcaraz in, in a, in a very dedicated Medvedev could be guys who could take him out. But like, since he passes a really good tennis player, but it just doesn't really look like he has the ability to take him out. It just doesn't seem like he has that complete game. And that's nothing against Stefano since pass. It's kind of like the verdict. Federer thing like he's a really good tennis player but boy is he just gonna lose a lot to him (laughs) yeah Yeah. I think think it really makes it intriguing for the rest of the year to see who who can take him out because I think over the last couple years and and decades really like we've had the three guys who are separated from everyone else and it was one off that maybe someone would beat one of those guys, but then those guys were probably going to play in a semi or a final one way or the other. And we're without Roger. We're probably without Rafa for a bit, or at least high, high, high level Rafa. So it's really a one man show and everybody else climbing and chasing, which we, we haven't really had. It was kind of a group of people chasing those top three guys and, and that with the occasional Stan or Murray but really now it's it's Novak and everybody else, which I think adds a ton of intrigue for the rest of the year to see how draws will shape out and who's playing who at certain points in the draw to see who's going to get the best crack at the one guy. It's the yeah. Serena effect. Mm-hmm. It's like what the WTAs had with Serena for so many years of just like, this is it. Can you can you get this excellence? Can you be Kim Kleischer's? Can you be Justine Hennen? Can you be these players that that just go in there or um uh oh shoot who's the German girl I'm thinking of uh the lefty Kerber. Uh, beater went Kerber thank you uh beater a few times like can you be that player that just ups their level for that for for those tournaments when you say Serena it it makes me think back she we think about how dominant she was this is almost a little side tangent but if we think about how dominant she was I can think of so many women who were one or two in the world during that period when it wasn't Serena and they've Mm -hmm. never won a grand slam. And I I don't know. I like, that's just a thought that popped in my head. I'm thinking, okay, Serena was so dominant for that, that like 10, 12 year stretch, but I can probably name on two hands players in the world who never won a slam. Wozniacki took forever to get that. Pushkova hasn't won any. It gets nuts. Yeah, there's been so many. Didn't Red did Radwanska? Radwanska, that was that was, that was yeah, the one out of mine. Yep, the crafty uh, Radwanska. There's probably eight to ten women who got to one in the world, and they hadn't won a slam. 
And I don't know. It's just an interesting thought because I, I don't think like on the men's side, it's just, that doesn't exist. We, yeah. we almost had that with Casper at some point. Right. But that's- yep. he had, he had a chance if he, if he went to the final, I think, I think if he went to the final, he would have, and Djokovic didn't, it was one of those things. Yeah. Okay. Um, if yeah. like, if Casper did not lose to, it was, it was, it would have been earlier in the tournament that this, this came out If Casper went to the final and did not lose to, to Djokovic, she had a chance, and if um, that was kind of the way it was going to go, good. Just, just yeah, tidbit. Well, well, we'll leave it there. I know we're going to transition to Rapavala, but just a little stat for you guys: Djokovic has lost to two players at the Australian Open. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you going to ask who they are? Yeah, well, you seem Fred, like go you're about first. Ready to jump at the bit right over there. I think I know these players because I remember this one in a. I watched it in a bar in Blacksburg. Go ahead, Fred. Wawrinka. Yep. Nope. Wait. Yes, he's lost to Wawrinka at the quarterfinal. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of like two early round ones then. Oh, two early rounds? Okay. Well, yeah. I do know I do know the one the one still holds up. It would be okay, then it would be Wawrinka and the two others. Dennis Istaman. Yeah, that's the one. I remember watching that at Big Al's. Uh <laughs> 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 um early round loss this is such a such a crazy pick what year what year yeah it was the year i don't know what year it was federer beat him in a semi oh wait it was fed well fed's beaten him too by the way no, federer's beat federer's beaten this guy who's beat oh my Joe god he was on oh chung yeah. Sung chung yeah it was dennis Sisterman and young chung yeah 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 who fell maybe, that, maybe he's got more losses than two at the Australian Open, but he, I'm pretty he does. sure that maybe those maybe the stat was like who he's who he's lost to early. It was probably outside Fed Nadal and Stan and and Stan. Okay. Who is yeah. he? Who is he lost to? Because yeah. uh, I'm guessing he's probably lost to Nadal. Yeah, I saw it on TV, but yeah, but that, but to speak to what you're saying, Keith, they all those two guys played the way that Stan did and just slapped the hell out of the ball. Istamin, of course. I remember. I remember. I do remember. Djokovic also had. I think that was like he approached 100 unforced errors in that match. I think he may have had 100 unforced errors, um, in terms of how Djokovic played. I remember that match at Big Al's. But um, no, it's a great. It, it, it's the Australian team in college just sending beers. And watching, That's what I was doing. <laughs> watching Istvan play Djokovic on TV while like Mr. Brightside's going on in the background. <laughs> oh my god. That's hilarious. Well, God, sorry, Fred. Oh no, finish Keith, and then I'll I'll get us going. I was gonna say I thought that the um that, that I just want to kind of put a cap on this Australian Open, which was that I loved about it. Which I know the final for the men's side wasn't that great of a watch, and it's it's a painful watch at three thirty in the morning. Like you know, I did get up at four to watch it, just because I always get up at four just to make sure that it's not like six zero, and it's like okay, I could probably go to bed now. Um. <laughs> But the women's side was great. But what made the Australian Open so much fun this year, I thought, for at least from the American side, was not just how good the Americans were, but how many good matches were on either really early in the night comparative for the Australian Open or finished so late in Australia that we were able to watch it in the morning. I got to watch a lot more better matches this year at the Australian Open than I had in prior years, it felt it feels like. Not because the quality of tennis was better, but just because of the timing of the matches. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I woke up to a lot of matches that were still going on from 6 to 9 a.m. Yep. 
Yeah. I think Andy Murray would still dip, beg to differ about those. <laughs> it was great for us. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great for the East Coast viewer. But I don't know, Cole, you brought up Mr. Brightside. So it makes me want to bring us into our our segment, Rap of Olive, where we're each going to pick a song that in honor of the rapper himself, Dennis Shapovalov, who's, uh, mm. I don't know if he's self-proclaimed or he might have stuff released out there. I, I don't know. It's still self-proclaimed. It's, yeah, it's still self-proclaimed. Stuff released. Yeah. He has, he's on Spotify. For yeah. Us. He's on Spotify, but we're, we're going to put our own spin on his raps and each of us are going to pick a song that sort of describes a player that, and, and they're two weeks down under in, in Australia. Cole, start us off. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, man. I'm gonna go with you had a bad day, and I'll go with uh, Yelena Ostapenko. Once <laughs> Grand Slam champion, people forget she won the French when she was a teenager. And we try to forget. We try to forget Cole. It's not that we forget. We attempt to forget. Yeah, well, she's always controversial, and she brings it upon herself, and. In this week's segment of, uh, you know, what's she upset about, um, it's the Hawkeye line calls. And you'll come to find out by watching these, these past two weeks that uh, everything's electronic. It's all digital. So there's like, you know, you can't challenge. You're, you're essentially asking in the chair if you can just see how close it was. So uh, some players just can't get through that, get that through their head. And she's one of them. Um, in her quarterfinal against uh, Coco, she was complaining that the ball was out when it was dead on the line. She asked for the review. It was it came down on the line, and uh, she was after the match. She ended up winning it. And she took time out of her interview to speak to uh, whoever it was interviewing her. It might have been Courier. I don't know if he was on that early. He's usually a late show guy. Um, and she said, "Yeah, I don't. I just don't trust it. I think it's." I think it's a fake system. I, I I don't I don't trust it. And then that was the end of it. Like she can't she can't fathom not losing a point. She she just can't fathom it. And she like if if it's in it's in. Like she has to be right. So, uh, yeah, she had a bad day, and uh, hopefully that doesn't continue. And uh, I don't know. I kind of want to see the the line judges come back, but um, it makes for more drama. I'm a fan of the drama. Makes me uh makes me pick more songs for people that get upset about line calls, um. But yeah, I, I don't know. She's just a funny one. But we're gonna, we're gonna have to talk about it at some point. Just how bad officiating is too during during the Australian Open. Uh, just because all you have to do is get your ass in the in the chair and then just make sure a fight doesn't happen because you don't even have to overrule now. Uh, it just just stop being idiots, umpires. We'll we'll talk about that in a later date. But it was. Th- when she played, um, you were right. When she played Coco's, that was in the round of uh, that was in the round of four. Uh, in the quarterfinals, she played Robakina, and I watched that match. Okay. And she bitched and moaned about balls that were inside the line. I mean, balls that weren't close. There were four of them that she complained about that they didn't even show for like the close call. Like they do, like ooh, close call. Let's see it. The entire fan base. And the one they did it because she complained so hard, and it was like four or five inches in front of the line. Can you imagine tennis is like a, a foot. I would kill her. As a junior, I would kill her. Um, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine trying to coach her? Um, yeah, she just yeah, it's not a bad day. It's just a miserable human. Uh, oh. that's, that's just what it is. <laughs> Brutal. But 
I mean, Cole put a Cole put a pleasant spin with a with a beautiful. What was that? Is that James Blunt who sings that with a little beautiful James Blunt uh, option for? I don't you had think a bad so. Day? No, no, no. Who is that? I don't know. It is. Is that James Blunt? It feels like James Blunt. It feels no, like no. It's it's Daniel Powder. Oh, Daniel Powder. Yeah, uh, I feel like I. I feel like I had a, uh, a a middle school dance with that song was playing at one point. So bringing back some memories there, Cole. <laughs> Give me but, yours, um, Keith. Let's go. Mine, mine is for uh, is for Novak, and it's just it's just easy, just because he just he tore apart this tournament. It's X going to give it to you. Um, <laughs> I mean, he did. He gave it to everybody. This tournament, he was far and beyond the best player, and and uh, yeah, just didn't even look close. I'm I'm also picking a song in regards to Novak. The boys are back in town. It makes sense. I mean, he made it back, back down under and just went to work, cleaned up. Yeah. Oh, little thin Lizzy there. Nice. Yeah, Fred went Looks safe. Like we I, got, I, I tried we, to bring some diversity to tennis here. We got with some, some, some hardcore rap. Picks. We got a middle school dance song. We got some <laughs> bumping rap. And then we got some classic rock. Not a bad collection. Yeah, great. Sounds like we need to start an album of our own. Yeah, well, we'll we should make a Spotify playlist with a all of our rap of all up songs that we add each. <laughs> That's a great idea. That is a phenomenal idea, Fred. I'll, I'll get that started. We'll get a little No Man's Land rap of all up playlist. That's so good. That's yeah. so good. Next time I go into a match, I'm playing those songs. It's gonna be hilarious when I'm getting myself hyped up to you had a bad day. Uh, it's gonna be real funny. <laughs> that might be a that might have to be a post match song. <laughs> oh, well, that's, hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Well, good. Well, I guess real quick, just looking ahead to the next couple weeks, we've got Dallas starts in a week from today, and Montpellier and Cordoba as well. So a bunch of two fifties are going to be going on. We got one. I don't know what we got a couple weeks in a row on American soil, I think. So we'll be looking forward to kind of watching tennis on our time now. You, hey, yeah. you know what? It's 250 season, and you know what the boys say? It's when Casper Rude comes to play. <laughs> oh, he may have upgraded. He may only be a 500 guy now. It's true. And he may not have to just go live in South America for three months to get points. <laughs> That's for another time. <laughs> 